Hello, and welcome to this week's podcast presented by Freedom Life Church. We hope you find today's message uplifting and encouraging as we dive into God's Word together. If you need any information about our church or this message, please go to wearefreedomlife.com. Now let's get right into it. All right, it's always an adventure when technology is awesome, and then technology punches you in the neck, like it did this morning, and you're like, ugh, but... Thank God that we uh, don't have to uh, rely on PowerPoint, but this morning, I will point with power. That was so cheesy. I'm really glad you were on board with it, though. Thank you so much for that humorous. Um, (laughs) I find it interesting how um, there was a a story that was told of a, a kindergarten teacher who was observing her classroom as the children drew pictures. Listen closely. Teacher was observing these kids drawing pictures, and the teacher would occasionally walk around and see the children's artwork. And uh, as she approached one little girl who was working especially hard, really attentive to her drawing, uh, she asked, the teacher asked, "What what was that drawing you were doing? Little girl told her, I'm drawing God. But, sweetie, the teacher replied, no one actually knows what God looks like. The little girl looked up at her and smiled and said, well, good. They will in a minute. (laughs) There's something about the heart of a child that allows us to see things differently, to believe differently, to believe in a bigger manner than we as adults who claim to know so much, yet we fall short when it comes to believing God for great things because our experience overrides God's supremacy. Supremacy, rather. Our experience oftentimes overrides God's supremacy because we think we know better. And here's a little girl who's like, oh, they'll know in a minute because I'm drawing them. And while that's, Yet somewhat of a humor story. I mean, it tells us the truth, doesn't it? That there are times that the older we get, the more cynical we can become. And we need the word of God to help us to break down what is fleshly and what is spirit. Is that true? Who's with me so far this morning? I think there's a reality that has to take place that we have to understand that when we look at when we look upon God and we look upon his word, he's given us ample opportunity to believe him for great things. We're on this current series right now called The Lord's Prayer. And for those of you that were not here for last week's part one, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to it. Because I set a, I set a table before you as a template to begin this series. And I... And I And I also talked about how in this series, it's just focused on the Lord's prayer. And we also understood as of last week that this was not the Lord's prayer. It was a prayer the Lord gave his disciples. So if we really want to be technical, it's really the disciples' prayer. The Lord gave it, but it was not a prayer he prayed. And you go, how do you know that? Because he prayed, Father, 
uh, you know, forgive us our sins. Okay, Jesus never sinned. If he did, we'd be in big trouble today. So he was the spotless lamb. So what he was doing was laying a template for us to know how to pray. And so he said, he didn't say, hey guys, when you pray, pray this. He said, when you pray, pray like this. So what does like this mean? Well, there was the, those were the elements that we'll be going through in this series. And last week we talked a little bit about uh, our, uh, our Father, you know, and I'm going to address that a little bit as well this morning. And, and then who is in heaven is also another part of that, right? And so God deserves our full attention. I think most of us would agree with that, right? I think we understand that God deserves our attention, our respect, and therefore we should all approach God in prayer and approach him as the father. He claims himself there even in that prayer to be our father. Did you know Jesus gave us the opportunity to pray to the Father? Directly. Our dear friends and brothers and sisters in the Catholic Church, they pray through a Father. But we strongly believe that you can pray to the Father. Why is that? Jesus, he said, our Father who is in heaven. He prayed and he told us to pray and directed us in that manner. Therefore, we can. So although it's not uncommon for us to have an earthly father that fails us, right? I'm a father on this earth. I failed my children. I failed my wife at times. You know, I've made mistakes. But we serve a heavenly father who makes no mistakes. He wants to open up the windows of heaven for you in a perfect way. So I looked up the word, the Greek, the, the Greek word for father here, and it's the word pater, P-A-T-E-R. And it, it can mean father in the traditional sense, and I had a great, great screen with words on it. But now I will tell you, which is phenomenal. Are you ready for this? Not only does the word mean father in the traditional sense, but it also allows us to understand that the word father, the original Greek word, could mean originator. The originator, which is interesting, right? Imagine you pray, our originator who is in heaven. You follow what that kind of changes how we kind of see that word? Our originator, the one who started it all. The one who made us, the one who originated us. Did you know that you did not originate yourself? Did you know that? I mean, simple biology would tell you that, right? But the originator kind of gives it an, an interesting concept, doesn't it? It gives us a concept that we are not of ourselves, so we should not be of ourselves. There's more to life than what you are going to ingest, but rather, what are you going to process in somebody else's life? He's the originator, originating things through you as well. And so, I love how the original word, the Greek word for the word father, that Greek word could mean father in the traditional sense, but it also means the originator. 
Theologian John Scott Stott says this, in the beginning, uh, that prayer addresses God and where he is located as well. We look at it, and Stott writes this, if he is in reality our Father in heaven, then and only then does it become possible and essential to give his concerns priority and to become preoccupied with his name, his kingdom, and his will. What is that saying? Here's what it's saying. When you call him father, automatically the things that matter to him should matter to you. You with me? If you're calling him father, then he is family, and the things that matter to him should matter to you. The things that he hates, you should hate. The things he loves, you should love. And so we fall in line with what he likes. How many of you, okay, so how many of you, how many young people, raise your hand if you're a teenager. When I say young people, I mean under 18, so relax. Don't get offended and stuff. Under 18, raise your hand. Raise your hand. You're under 18. Under 18. Okay, we got a few people. All right, we got some young people over here that floating all around the room. Raise your hand real high. Wave it like this, like you just don't care. Okay, like raise your hands. In the, okay, no, no. Um, so, so young people, you know, in your life, you're going to have situations where uh, your, your parents believe a certain way, and then you're going to be like, well, um, I, okay, I believe that too, right? Then some of you are going to push back and be like, no, I don't want to believe that. But one of the things that's true is that some of the things that happens is what the parent likes, the child ends up liking as well. Like, for instance, if there's a sports team, you talk to adults now, 30s and 40s and they ask, what te- well, I don't really watch sports, but I'm kind of a this fan because my parents were, right? Isn't that right? You, you can look at that and you can go, that's because, why? Because influence matters. Your parents, they, they, they bring that. And guess what? That's a direct speaking to what you believe as well in your faith. Because there's a sports team that you like. And your kids like, guess what? If you say you like other things, guess what your children will like? Parents, this is just a word for you. What you do in moderation, your children will do in excess. Let's be very careful as to what we believe and what we stand for because our children will do them in excess. They don't have a filter yet. They They don't have a push button. Like They don't have a moment where they go, okay, stop, here. We have a, as adults, Most of us, most of us, most of us. Have a cap space where we go, okay, enough's enough. Like, what's socially acceptable? Like, the stop here. Like, that's inappropriate, right? Most of us adults have that. Most of us, most of us. (laughs) Right? So we have that point where we have a, a... But our children don't. So what does that mean? They could believe something that somebody told them and they'll go running with it and destroy something in their lives. And then they go, but nobody told me. That's how come parental influence is so important. And then we go, let me go back to what my original thought was when we're talking about the father, the originator. What we understand to be good, healthy, stop here. God says, I want to do so much, but there is a cap that the world has that I don't have. So when it comes to blessing, God wants to take the cap off. 
He wants to flow in your life. And that originator wants to give more of his origin with you. In other words, why you were created, follow me now, the reason and the the purpose for your existence, he wants that to overflow in life. So what we look upon as uh, oftentimes we look at the Ten Commandments and different things and rules and regulations in the Word, and we think God will, and the world will scream at you. God wants to stop you from learning. God wants to stop. Isn't that exactly what they yelled at the garden? Interesting, huh? The same thing the world is telling you today. God just wants to stop you from from being everything that... No, he doesn't. He wants to stop you from destroying your life. If God loved you, he would let you touch the tree. If God loved you, he'd let you do this. If God loved you, he'd let you sleep with whoever you want before you marry them just so you could make sure they're the person you love. Listen, I'm going to call it as it is from this pulpit. God has a word and we got to follow that. And what happens is the world wants to run with, hey, God just wants to stop you from having fun. No, there's joy in Christ that nobody can match. So let's make this very clear. That the world is the one putting the cap on you. Because the cap that they want to cover you with is the cap of blessings. Not joy. In fact, within that cap that they're putting on you, they're also telling you you can do whatever you want. And then there's a whole load of problems with that. Are you following what I'm saying? So where the world is saying we want to give you freedom, what they're really giving you is a cap. And yet on the other side, in the Christianity side, what looks like a cap is really, really true freedom. So what looks like one thing is really the other is what I'm trying to tell you. Your father in heaven, it may look in the surface like he's giving you a cap. Follow this. You shall not this. You shall not that, right? And we think that is God limiting you. No, that's God protecting you from you and from the flesh. So let me go into it. I don't want to dive too much more into that, but defining hallowed is the first thing. So when we talk about hallowed be your name, hallowed be your name, and we talked a little bit about that last week. I touched on it. Let me just touch on it a little bit more. That hallowed means it's almost like holy, holy, holy. But the Greek word hallowed, like pater, can have multiple meanings, and here's the two that I have. The first is to take God's name seriously and respectfully, right? To take God's name respectfully. You heard, how many ever heard hallowed ground? How many ever heard that phrase? This is a hallowed ground place. And and maybe cemeteries are considered a a, a kind of a hallowed ground. And and when somebody disrupts in the cemetery, that you you just degraded that moment, that place. You know, this is where, you know, and so we look upon that as hallowed. Can you imagine how much more God is hallowed? Can you imagine how much more sacred and reverence should be given to our Father? So, the Hallowed is also is is, is uh, His name to be taken seriously and respectfully. It's also the other meaning behind the word is to not associate it with anything that's profane or ungodly. Anything profane or ungodly. So why is it? Why should we not take the Lord's name in vain? 
right? The whole taking the Lord's name in vain, I think it's pretty important in so much he put it in the Ten Commandments, right? Not only that, he also uh, put it in this prayer. So we look at the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament in Exodus, right? We looked upon those Ten Commandments that God gave Moses. But then we go, well, the Ten Commandments is not for today. Well, Jesus already inserted that part in there right there. So let me make this clear. The Ten Commandments is also for us today. Okay? There's some preachers that even want to go into that element and say it's not for... Can I tell you something? God's commands will land forever. Now, we're not talking about law. We're not talking about law. We're under grace. But that doesn't mean that we throw away everything. There's still God, things that God fulfilled that we still apply in our lives. Just because God fulfilled the law, he didn't destroy the law, he fulfilled it. But it's, there's still elements that we have to do to keep our faith in God. In Christ. We don't just throw everything out. Even if Jesus fulfilled it. We have to understand now, and again, I'm not talking about the law because we're under grace, we're under the spirit of God. But we understand that when we identify God's word and God as a person, those things are hallowed. Everybody say hallowed. See, so when we're talking about what we're calling the Lord's prayer here today, and we, again, understand. By the way, how many of you read John 17 this week? Raise your hand if you read it. If you didn't, don't you put your hand up and lie. Some of you read it, some of you didn't. Let me encourage you, if you did not read it, go back. I'm going to give you a second week. A second week to do it. You shouldn't take two weeks to read one chapter, guys. But John 17 is the real Lord's Prayer. Read it. Take a look at how Jesus prayed. Well, congratulations. Congratulations. We have one more hand. Praise the Lord. For everybody... For anybody that did not, take a look at John 17. See how Jesus approached this. Because the Lord's Prayer, while it's short and simple, can be the means of bringing people to God. And I'll share a story with you for a moment. Ken Bailey tells the story of a teaching, uh, of teaching new believers one time. And after the fall of the USSR, speaking with one of them, he was surprised to learn that they had never been to church. Never had any family member instruct them in the faith. Never had a secret Bible to study. Curious how this new believer came to faith, he asked this young lady, and she said this, listen closely, and I quote, at funerals, we were allowed to recite the Lord's Prayer. And as a young child, I heard those strange words and had no idea who we were talking to, what the words meant, But when you are in total darkness, listen to this, the tiniest point of light is very bright. For me, she she went on to say, the Lord's Prayer was that point of light. By the time I found its meaning, I became a Christian. End quote. Ken Bailey writes this because he was teaching in 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 a location where someone would have probably went to an underground Bible study or underground church. How I many know there are real things like that, right, in this world we live in? We are so privileged. Anybody that hates America and wants to say things bad about America, I'm like, go ahead and go to another country for a year. You'll come back and you'll appreciate the flag. You'll appreciate the freedoms. You'll appreciate the things we have as a nation. You talk bad, go. Go and figure it out. Come back in a year and we'll talk again. And you tell me how we got it here. 
There are people that are underground studying God's word underground because if they did it above ground, they will die, go to prison. They could lose their lives. And we're complaining about the silliest and the dumbest things. I'm going to call it out because that's the reality. Sometimes we don't realize how good we have it. And here, this young lady did not know Jesus, did not know God, did not know the Bible, did not have a Bible to study, did not go to church. And all she had was this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And in that little bit of light, it shined enough for her to see God. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Praise the Lord for that. Teaching that God is our Father is a radical statement even back then. You realize that? When Jesus said, our Father who is in heaven, that's a radical statement. Especially in the Middle Eastern culture. In so much, I'll even add this. In Islamic culture, there are 99 titles or names for God. Give or take, there might be even more. But you know which word they do not call God? Father. Father isn't one of them. Why? Because Islam believes that speaking God as the Father will lead to idolatry and they never ever wanted that. So they dismissed the idea that God is the Father. And that's a distinct difference. One of many many distinct differences between Christianity and and the Muslim culture and religion. Father. You, my brother, my sister, have a father in heaven that not only loves you, but wants to have a relationship with you. And then God is calling you to himself. And through this prayer, we see Jesus give that example. So nevertheless, Jesus wants believers to understand that God is their father and grew and grow in that relationship through personal prayer connection. The second thought is simply this, your kingdom come. And this is where we're expanding. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Have you ever thought about having a bigger home? You ever thought about having a bigger home? Well, I had a picture of a castle, uh, a particular house, um, and I was going to show that picture to you, but we'll put it online. Can you imagine if you had a huge castle, how kids will enjoy hide and seek? You ever seen seen a big castle and the kids would be like, that would be awesome for hide and seek. And you're like, you're thinking, how am I going to heat this place, right? <laughs> that's that's part of adulting, right? That's part of adulting. So, um, what's interesting was that there was a house that uh, I found online that actually you can buy in Romania for about three hundred and twelve thousand dollars. And in fact, I'll show it to you. It's in the back of the screen there. Uh, if you're in the house, you can see this. If you're online, I don't know if you can see it. But that's the house there. I forgot we can have it in the back. The front screens don't work right now. But that's the house right there. That's a house in Romania. In fact, it's in Zlanta. Z- sorry. Zlantna, Romania. You see that house? Beautiful house, isn't it? Beautiful house. $312,000. You can buy that huge mansion. 
Okay, what's the downside? <laughs> yeah. The costs are low. Why? Because they estimate that it would cost $10,000, get this, per square foot to renovate that mansion. Now, I was going to get I was going to get a, a tile that was a 12 by uh it was a 12 by 12 tile. But imagine a, a ruler on all directions that $10,000 to renovate that much of that mansion each one. Can you imagine what that looks like as a bill? All the kids are like, "Ah, oh, that's just a lot of money." All adults are like, "Oh my goodness." Right? Can you imagine? So what I'm trying to say is when you bought such a place, you didn't know what you were getting into. Can you imagine if you didn't know this? It becomes quite a money pit, right? If you didn't know that, they kind of sold you a, sold you a bad bill of goods. And, and it could be a nightmare. Uh, um, and what happens is much of our lives before we came to Christ was like that, wasn't it? Where we were offered a bill of sale and opportunity to buy into something. And when we got into it, we didn't know what we were biting into. The world will sell you something so it, it looks like so amazing. But you have no idea what you're getting into. We have hobbies. We have passions. We have collections and dreams of what we want to do. How to spend our time, our money, our energy. But let me ask you this question. Are you building your kingdom that's going to cost you everything? Or are you building his? You see, because when you build his kingdom, he will give you all the resources to build his kingdom. You could, when you try to build your own, guess what ends up happening? You, you buy a house like that and 10,000 a square foot to just to renovate it. You are tapped. You're tapped. You don't have the ability to do that. But God does. He funds his kingdom all the time. Who's with me so far? How many believe that God funds his vision? So what's my point? Jesus asked us to pray, your kingdom come. His kingdom and his will are the best. His kingdom and his will are the best. As we began this new year here, now, can you believe it? We're in the second month already. Third week of the second month. And, and here, as we looked into this new year and believe God for great things, how about we look in light of his kingdom, not our kingdom we want to build? So what does it mean for you personally to see God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, the kingdom of God is the manifestation of the will of God. So what is the kingdom? Let's dig into this for a few moments uh, before I close. Let's dig into this. When Jesus prayed, say this with me, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come used the word, that word was uh, kingdom was used 55 times in Matthew alone. The word kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. Are you with me? In Matthew, not in all the Gospels, just Matthew. 
One of the reasons is because Matthew was written for Jewish believers. Did you know that? Matthew, the Gospels were written for a certain purpose. John was written so that you may believe. Luke was a physician, so he wrote things very technical. He was very specific in how he wrote and very detailed. If you look at Luke versus all the other three Gospels, you'll see how detailed Luke the physician is because he was very intelligent and details matter right? But if you look at Matthew by itself, Mark has a series of miracles. He kind of saw things in a different perspective. And then you got Matthew. Matthew stood apart. Why? Because Matthew often wrote the way he wrote, he wrote to appeal to the Jews and the, 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 the Jewish culture. And so oftentimes in the original translation, it wouldn't say kingdom of God. In fact, you'll find kingdom of heaven a lot more in Matthew than any of the other gospels. Why? Because to say God, we weren't worthy of it. So Matthew was written very differently than the other gospels. Go back and look at the gospels. Go back and look at how it was translated in the, in the verbiage used because Matthew, to see, even, even Jews today, they won't even write God. They'll write G-D. They won't even write God. Sometimes certain Jews won't do that because they're not worthy to even write the name God or I should say the word God. And, and those that even wrote and, tra- and translated and transcribed things when they came to write the word God, even if they couldn't write the whole word, they would use a different pen. And I think I addressed that some weeks ago here. They would use a different pen just to write the word God because his name is separate than everybody else. Do you see the reverence that's in this? Do you see that and compare and contrast that with how God is treated in our culture today? Do you know why we have so many problems? The reverence and the awe of God is missing in our culture. And like the little girl I mentioned at the beginning of the story, the world wants to see God and we're the ones to paint the picture. So when he says, your kingdom come, guess who's bringing his kingdom? He's not, he's not bringing the kingdom. When he brings the kingdom, you'll know it. He's going to crack the sky and he's going to come back for his people and his kingdom's going to come in a whole different way. But no, 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 friend. You are his kingdom extended right now. You are the ones that live this extension of God's grace and love. So what is the kingdom? Number one, it's near. If you're taking notes, write this down. The kingdom is number one, near. And I had a really great PowerPoint. And it's in the back there if you want to look at it. We'll take a snapshot of it if you want. We'll throw it up. The first one is the kingdom is near. And this is so, the reason why I mentioned the PowerPoint thing is because it's a lot to take in. And I wanted to snap a picture for you here. But number one, the kingdom of God is near. And that's what John the Baptist preached, right? In Matthew chapter 3 verse 2, we see that the kingdom of God is what? Near. Near. Number two, because when John the Baptist preached, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And some translations say the kingdom of God is near. Or rather... Matthew said the kingdom of what? Heaven is near. Again, back to the reference I talked about. Number two, 
The kingdom is heavenly. Matthew 4, 17. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's heavenly. It's, it's, it's beyond this earth. Matthew 3, 2 and 4, 17. Number three. The kingdom is prepared from the beginning. Matthew 25. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Listen, friends, look at me. He will separate those that follow him from those that did not. There is a judgment coming. Get this right. Get Jesus as soon as you can. If you're listening here today, whether you're online or you're in this room and you walked in here for the very first time, A, we welcome you. We're glad you're here. But we also want you to know that we're not a church that believes that everyone is a child of God. Everyone on this planet Earth is a child of God. Can I tell you something? It's those that accepted him. He gave them rights to be called sons and daughters of God. That is the Bible. And we have to know who he is in order to know what he does. He has prepared from the beginning heaven for us. But we have to understand, not only does, uh, the world's been talking a lot about he gets us this week. How about, do we get him? Do we get him? Do we understand him? Right? Number four, everlasting. The kingdom is everlasting. Friends, can I tell you something? The devil will not, cannot, will never destroy what God has created. You with me? The enemy will never, ever have the ability to destroy what God has put together because the kingdom is everlasting. Daniel chapter 2, and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never, everybody say never, Never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Somebody say, yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you agree. That's Daniel chapter 2, my friend. God's kingdom will reign forever. Everlasting. Number five, the kingdom is righteous. The kingdom of God is not, in Romans Romans 14, the kingdom of God is not a manner of eating and drinking, but righteousness. You know what the kingdom is not? I just go to church, I do what they say to do, and then I go home and I live how I want to live. The kingdom is righteousness. The kingdom is how you live every day outside of Sunday too. You with me? The kingdom is what you post on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. The kingdom is what you watch on your computer. The kingdom of God is what you watch on your TV. The kingdom of God is what you listen to on your AirPods. The kingdom of God is everything you're involved in. He's engulfed in everything. He is forever and ever. If you call yourself a believer, he should be involved in your daily walk on this planet Earth. How many agree with that? Okay. Number six, the kingdom of God is exclusive. (gasps) God separates people? Doesn't he love us all? Yes. I need you to understand it and hear me closely. God loves everyone. 
He created everyone. There's not a single person he's created that he said, ah, I'll try again with this guy. He created you a certain way. Every life matters to God. That's why he left the 99 that were secured together to go get the one. Because every number matters. You with me? It does not matter your color, your economic background, where you're from. My wife and I are very different individuals. She's from the country, and I'm born, I was born and raised in the city. And there's a lot more we have that is not in common. And when we met, I'm pretty sure she would not have liked me in high school. That's why God waited till college. I'm pretty sure she would have thrown something at me. Now she still throws things at me, but that's at least when married and loving. No, that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. Not totally true. So, I love you, dear. Am I in trouble? Okay, never mind. Listen, what I'm trying to tell you is this. Listen, there is a point. There's a point. It doesn't matter how different you are to the people that he has saved in other, other times. Oh, that person, they're so nice. God, they, I'm not good. That person is nice. God saved them, but he's not going to do anything with me. Do you know how many times I hear that? I talk to people like, but you don't know how many times I messed up, Pastor. You messed up so many times, and yet he still loves you. He knows every, look at me, listen. Listen, everything about you, he knows where you messed up and he still loves you today. With all that said, the kingdom of God is exclusive. It's those who chose him too. Not just we're chosen by God, but those who chose him back. The kingdom is exclusive because he didn't just love us. Did you love him back? He didn't just want us, but did you want him too? <gasps> Pastor Tony, he wouldn't send people to hell. He's a loving God. He, didn't, he wouldn't send anybody to hell. Our sin sends people to hell. He's asking. He is pouring out opportunity after opportunity so your name will be written in the book of life he wants your name in the book and he's giving you opportunity after opportunity Sunday after Sunday Wednesday after Wednesday life group after life group to hear the word to know the truth to adopt the truth to make it part of your life and you still reject him who is the one turning their back It's not God. It's not God turning his back on mankind. He's giving us opportunity after opportunity. And we, and our stubborn nature, have decided that's not enough. Why? Because we're controlled by our flesh. When we choose the world over God, we are controlled by our flesh. It has to stop today. 
hallowed be his name. He will not associate his name with something that is unholy. If you call yourself a believer, check your spirit today. And if you're offended by what you're saying, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Truth is truth. Let it roll. Let it happen. Let it process. Let it marinate. That God loves you so much that he gave his only son. What have you given back? We want everything that God gives us. But the one thing that matters. We want blessing without the correction. Church, that has to stop. We have to come to a place where we say, yes, Lord. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. It is exclusive. And the last thing is God's kingdom will reign forever. There'll be a day we'll stand before him and it will reign forever. In our lives, Revelation eleven fifteen is very real. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and, and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Revelation eleven fifteen. Listen, he will reign. The world will not. The will of the world will fall. The will of the Father will remain forever and ever. I don't know about you. I hope you're with me in understanding this. God is sovereign and he, he deserves better than what we often give him. So friends, God may not heal all diseases you pray for exactly the way you want it in 2024. He may not help you get the A on your paper that you prayed for. He may not reconcile that broken relationship. He may not bring back the prodigal child you have prayed for just yet. But that doesn't mean he's given up on you and that doesn't mean he won't. It just doesn't work out the way we see it because we're often praying our will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But that's not the way the prayer goes. It's your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We live in a broken world. Sin and decay and death still have a sway. And the prince of this world causes havoc. I'm telling you, God is on the throne. He has not relinquished his throne. And the word kingdom means reign, power, and rule of God. I love what the philosopher David uh, Dallas Willard, he passed away in 2013. But before passing away, he said this one thing. Shortly before he passed away, he said this. The kingdom of God is the range of his effective will. That is, it is the domain where he prefers to actually cause what happens. In other words, a lot of people want to say God is in control. Listen, God does not control everything in this world. If he did, we would be robots, and he loves you too much. He wants you to choose him. But you know what he does control? Everything that's in his will. I want to live in that sweet spot. I want to live in the sweet spot of God's will. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, when we pray, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. You know what we're praying? I want to live in your sphere. I want to live in your inner circle. I want to live in in heaven's sweet spot. What is heaven's sweet spot? The perfect will of the Father. That's where we should live. That's where we should want to live. That's what we push for every day. That's what we push for every day. Jesus teaches something very important. It's not about us. It's about heaven's sweet spot. 
Revelation 21 tells us, I'm making all things new. Verse 5, Revelation 21, 5. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. That includes you, 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 and me. He's making all things new. He's going to make heaven and earth new, and I know that. I'm very aware of what Revelation 21 means. And I know he's talking about a new heaven and a new earth, and he's talking about, but guess what he's also going to make new? Us, our glorified bodies. How many say praise the Lord for that? Right? Some of you, I lost you for a few minutes, but you came back when I said God will give you a heavenly body. You came back. Welcome back. Glad to have you. I want to live in heaven's sweet spot. If you're with me this morning, you want to live in heaven's sweet spot, would you stand with me right now? Let's pray to the Father. Stand with me right now. If you say, that's me, Pastor Tony, I want to live in heaven's sweet spot. As it is in heaven. Here, as it is in heaven. Let me say one thing before we pray. Everyone focus right here. Don't look around. Don't look at the clock. Don't worry about the crock pot at home. Listen. Listen. The Bible is not an ordinary piece of literature. This, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, is not a normal book. This is life. It's not something that a man or a group of people cooked up one day. Hey, let's put something together. It was written over 1,500 years ago on three continents in three languages and carries consistency and has proven the test of time. This right here with over 40 authors and it all says one thing. God is and we need that. That's what the Bible is. God is. It's a constant statement of who God is. I said it last week, and let me, it worth bearing and saying again. There are parts in scripture that are descriptive, describing what is happening, right? And then there are parts of the Bible that are prescriptive, in other, in other words, things that we need to do in our lives. So there are things in the Bible we read that people did wrong. How many ever read in the Bible something somebody did wrong? If you've didn't, if you can't say yes, then you have not read your Bible. Because there's plenty of things people did wrong, right? But then there are other portions where God has put out, what are we, a prescription for us to follow. Find the prescription God has written for you in the word of God. How many of you realize that sin is a sickness, right? And the only prescription is the blood of Jesus Christ and the word to cleanse our lives. Come on, if you believe with me and you want to live in heaven's sweet spot today, just lift your hands all across this room. Father, it's at this moment that I pray for every person that has lifted up their hands right now. And if they can't lift their hands for some physical reason, you know their hearts are lifted to you right now. And I pray in Jesus' name that they would live in heaven's sweet spot. The spot in which, God, your perfect will is taking place. We want to live right in the middle of your will. So I'm asking you today 
that with this written word of God, we would take it and we would digest it and we would learn it and we would memorize it so that when you crack that eastern sky and you really come back for us, that we will be ready to be with you. God, help us. Oh, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray you open up this passage to us even more in the coming weeks. Allow us to see your perfect will. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Listen, friends, John 17, read it this week. Read through the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 here and understand that God has a great plan for your life. God bless you. Uh, I want to remind you of a couple of things.